0: Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Lee Taft. So Lee has over 35 years of experience teaching and coaching athletes and children of all different ages and abilities. In that time, he's developed an absolutely exceptional model for improving multidirectional speed, and it's exactly that which we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Lee onto the show. So Lee, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Ah, oh, it's my honor. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you taking the time to have me on.
0: Oh, thank you very much for joining us. So, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, I started out in phys ed. Uh, my degree was physical education back in the '80s, and from that, I ended up doing a lot of coaching of sport. And I also went quickly into the strength and conditioning field. So, I spent a lot of years kind of going back and forth between both, always have been involved with coaching at some level. And uh, and then that kind of led me as I got older into consulting. So I did a lot of consulting, a lot of workshops for organizations and you know other, uh, other training facilities and professional organizations. So that's kind of led me to now where I'm, I'm actually right back into coaching high school sports again, which is where I'd love to be. Oh, excellent. Whereabouts are you doing that at the moment? So i live in florida now so we're on the west coast of florida kind of near sarasota
0: yeah awesome awesome so obviously we're going to touch on multi-directional speed yeah. so before we get into the depths of it and how to plan it and all the good stuff um what is it and why does it differ and how does it differ from like acceleration and maximum speed which are obviously linear variations
1: yeah well you know the cool thing with this matt and i love this question because Multi-directional speed has to do with, obviously the speed part and the quickness part, but there's a lot of like change of pace. There's a lot of tempo involved. There's a lot of uh, judging angles. So if you and I were going against each other, maybe in soccer or basketball or whatever, where I, or rugby maybe, and I had to try to stop you from getting to your goal, I have to be able to use in, you know, sometimes intuitive movement. Sometimes I have to be able to use a quick lateral movement. Other times I have to open my hips and run and then repeat those again, multiple times. So multi directional speed is kind of like what it says is multiple directions, multi multi-levels. I go from a high position when I'm trying to get faster to a lower position when I'm trying to decelerate and maybe change directions. So it kind of fits in a lot of different areas as where if I'm just running like track and I'm running as fast as I can, I'm pretty predictable as to what I'm going to do. I'm going to get tall. I'm going to push as hard as I can out of the blocks. And once I get tall, I'm just going to try and turn my legs over and not have to worry about change of direction. So it's kind of cool. It's a, it's a really neat area to study.
0: And then what, what are the, yeah. How do they, how do they link to each other? Because obviously you you see uh, people in elite sport and you're like, Oh, wow, that guy's fast. Um, Or yeah, she can accelerate. And that's obviously slightly different, but how much overlap is there between those two different things? Because, yeah, just, just being able to hit a top speed like Usain Bolt. I mean, obviously a lot of people want to do that, but yeah, that doesn't mean that you can move in different planes. So how yeah. does they how do those two things link to each other?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is a this is a really cool area because from a training purpose, okay, actual training, improving performance of an athlete, they're very important. So maximal velocity sprinting is very important for multi-directional speed, change of direction, agility, because of the strength qualities and the stability or stiffness qualities that I build in my foot, my ankle, my lower leg, which translates really well to multi-directional speed because I have now this really good ground contact, this stiffness to be able to get in and out of a cut really good, but that's built by sprinting because I build that ability. Now, of course, I have to be able to do multi-directional speed training to build the coordinative patterns that exist in that those planes of movement. But sprinting carries over really well. Now, I was a track coach for years and I made my track athletes do a lot of lateral movement simply because I wanted to build really healthy multiplanar hips that didn't get stuck in the same pathways all the time and didn't have diversity of movement. So really they cross over really well from a training standpoint. Now from a from a performance standpoint, if let's say I'm a volleyball player and I'm a back row player, well I may never get to max velocity, but the qualities that I gain from having trained Max velocity will help me be able to open my hips really quick, apply quick pressure into the ground, and then move and chase a ball that maybe got tipped over my head and I have to accelerate. So you can go through any sport and you can really pick the areas that max velocity speed actually helps that sport, even if it's as small as like racquetball. Doesn't matter. The qualities help it. Just like strength training can help multidirectional speed.
0: So can't max velocity sprinting absolutely excellent so it it seems like that it would be great to have both basically you want to be really yes. quick and you want to be able to apply that in, in different planes too but yeah. the, the multi-directional element is a little bit more coordinative to apply those forces is that roughly correct
1: it is it is very much so you gotta have uh it's a skill right and the more i get exposed to it and and matt you'll you'll really appreciate this as well as what makes a multi-directional speed athlete really effective is experience and experience builds predictability the ability to predict what potentially could happen or perception ability and that makes me better with my multi-directional movement whether the multi-directional movement is predetermined like a test a a combine test or actually you and i going against each other in an offensive de- defensive matchup where i don't know exactly what you're going to do but if i've played against you enough times i can kind of say ah here it comes i know matt likes to go to his left he likes to plant that right foot and take off to his left because he's done that to me probably 75 percent of the times so that's experience so that's the really cool part with multi-directional speed is
0: experience matters Absolutely. Excellent. And before we get into too much depth and I want to, I want to hit the physiology as well. Right. So what kind of physiological, uh, underpinnings are there for multi-directional speed? What kind of characteristics do athletes need?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's a cool, that's another question. I appreciate you asking. And it's almost like, you know, physiologically, obviously there's some really good things, but if we, if we talk along the lines of even biomotor abilities, so biomotor abilities, such as strength, agility, coordination, uh, things like that are really, really important for multidirectional speed. We've already talked about kind of the coordination part of it, which gets developed the more I do it because my, my, my central nervous systems helps my muscular system coordinate these patterns. And my vision, my vision system helps me a lot. Visual system helps me a lot with that. And then obviously over time, as I develop strength, if I'm a youngster, if I'm a young athlete, and I gain some strength, which I can turn eventually into power, and hopefully even training kind of the elastic part of movement ability and strength, now I have, a, I have a, these, these characteristics that allow me to get in and out of cuts really quick, or you know, maybe start going one direction and quickly turn my hips and go the other direction. Well, all these things of coordination, strength elastic ability uh you know power um you know timing all those come into play so so yes we got the physiological the things that happen even you know if we're talking heart rate and, and things of that nature and pressure but then we've got the biomotor abilities which is what most coaches will see with their athletes
0: so that, that leads us really nicely onto like the technical element right so yeah what what is the the, the kind of technical I want to say technical model because there's no pure technical model, obviously, but like, what are the technical elements which are really important for making sure that you can change direction really quickly?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, it's funny because, um, I have models like most people do. Like if you were to teach me how to do a front squat, you would have a model in your head. Okay. It shouldn't look like this. I might have some variation, right? Same thing with this multi-directional speed. So, I teach off seven patterns, okay? The seven patterns are sprinting and acceleration. Those are my two linear. Then I have my two lateral, a shuffle and a lateral run. I got two retreating, which is a back pedal and a hip turn. And then I have some kind of jump. And you got all of these variations of these in your, so you kind of form these models to teach from and to assess from. Do you have variation? Absolutely, because it depends. It depends on the athlete situation and all, but if they can fall within that model, Now, all of a sudden you have consistency in the message you're giving your athletes and the message they're receiving from you. Because one of the things I will always say is if I want to change directions efficiently, I try to stay in the tunnel and my athletes, I'll demonstrate that to them. Like if they were walking through a tunnel and they had to squat down a little bit, I don't want them going up and down so they keep hitting their head on top of the tunnel. I want them to stay level. So that is a, 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 an aspect of the model of change of direction or lateral movement that we use a lot, stay in the tunnel. Um, angular force application. So if I wanna change directions quickly, whether I'm running forwards and I'm doing 180 like a shuttle run or I'm shuffling laterally and I'm trying to change directions, we try to stick our leg out wider than our center of mass quite a bit. So that angle not only decelerates me, but it reaccelerates me. And we call that reacceleration. It's the ability to drive in and out of really quick using angles. Well, Matt, how do I do that? if my, my tunnel keeps changing directions, or changing levels, that's hard to do. So I wanna be able to maintain a fairly level movement pattern to be able to find the angle to be able to f- put my foot in the ground and then move my body in the new direction. So now you can start seeing how the models exist, but we still change them based on you know relative strength or, you know, experience moving, and then we build it off from
0: there. And that, that really interests me as well, right? So relative strength could play a role. And you mentioned the, the kind of uh, physiological characteristics. Yeah. So let's say you've got someone who you want them to make a really sharp angle with their legs and get low to the ground and accelerate back. Yeah. But maybe they don't have the physical capacity to do that. Yeah. So how would you know that that's the case? And then how would you go about addressing it?
1: Yep. Yep. Great question. Because really, we have three things we look at. Is it a skill acquisition issue? Have they just not had enough time to learn it? Is it a biomechanical issue? Do they not understand how to move? Like, are they biomechanically not doing things well or is it a strength issue? So I usually base things off that. We don't always know immediately unless it's a red flag goes right up. If every time they plant, they just kind of crumble, you probably know they're pretty weak, you know, you gotta help them a little bit. So one of the things that I like to do, Matt, is, if my athletes consistently hit that pattern and I see the same flaws, like I see them, maybe their shoulders do what I call sway, like a tree sways in the wind. Every time they plant that that left foot in the ground to be able to go back to their right, their shoulders keep going and they kind of sway and tilt that way. Well, to me, that's a core integrity. That's an integration issue. They haven't been able to integrate that really well. So maybe, we address it with some kind of um, like a, a resistance that's forcing them to go into the problem and their body has to force out of it. It's kind of like Gray Cook, you, you you know, used to teach years ago about kind of the, the, the reaction, kind of like the reaction against that pressure. So we would give them something like that. And that works really well for me. If I have an athlete that I know is too weak to perform it at a really quick high level now this might shock people because they might think differently i will actually straighten their joint angles a little bit so they can use a little bit more elasticity versus bending their knees more and having to use power which they've already showed me they don't have a lot up they don't because the more you bend your knees the more you're going to have to get your joints, get your get your use force to get those joints to move out of that range of motion. But if I do it a little bit stiffer, a little bit straighter, sometimes I can buy time with an elastic movement. Think of jump roping. Jump roping is very elastic; doesn't take a lot of strength. We just bounce, bounce, bounce. But doing a a, a vertical jump and landing a little bit deeper that takes some strength. So we apply the same things with these multi-directional cuts.
0: So it's more more of a, an elastic action compared to a muscular action where you have exactly. to kind of power through that movement.
1: Exactly, and um, as they get stronger, then they can adjust to their level. Exactly.
0: Yeah, but what? How much of both do you need? Because obviously, like both things sound good now, and it sounds like you kind of wanted the the muscular side, but obviously the elastic side is super efficient. So. How do you how do you compare those two and which which one do you want and how much of both
1: yeah yeah so obviously deceleration properties you know they require some pretty good strength right so if i'm running really fast and i'm trying to mark my opponent and you know all of a sudden i have to stop and maybe 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 stay in that same space or or stop to change directions i gotta have some strength i gotta have really because what happens is your stopping stage goes longer. Like the it goes, it takes me too long to slow down, and then I'm kind of late to the party, right? As if I have that raw strength, I can stick my foot in the ground, and maybe it takes me an extra step, like a gather step, and I'm good to go to get out of that that deceleration. So if I play a sport that requires a lot of that, I have to really put an emphasis on that because otherwise performance is gonna go down and injury potential is gonna go up. But let's say I play, um, well, like let's, let's, I mentioned volleyball. There's not like a tremendous amount of high velocity deceleration that takes place. There's quick deceleration, landing from jumping, maybe an approach jump on the outside. I stop my horizontal speed to go vertical. That's a different type of deceleration but it's not like a soccer player who's running 30 meters top speed and all of a sudden has to put the brakes on. That's a lot of force to overcome. So we kind of do a, you know, kind of like a, 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 an assessment of their sport and the skills that they need in that sport and the abilities they need. And then we'll decide which one needs a little bit more strength, power component, which one needs a little bit more elastic, understanding that Both of uh, All athletes need both of them. It's just how much and at what time in their training program do they need a little
0: bit more to maybe be at their best. Absolutely excellent. So when we bring this all together, I'm I'm interested to hear how you then make this into a a session, right? So can you give us a little case study as to how you've gone about improving multidirectional speed, potentially with an athlete that you've worked with or someone that you want to make up to make it a little bit more simple? But just go through... Like uh, how a session might look and what kind of exercises you might be using to, to tackle certain uh, technical or physical issues.
1: Yeah, yeah. This, uh, I appreciate this question because that's, that's kind of fun to talk about. So mine's a little different than a lot of people because I use, uh, I developed a system years ago called the reactive tier system for speed and what it does matt is it allows me to put an athlete in a in a reactive mindset like they they don't really know what they're going to do yet until i give them a command or maybe until their partner moves if i have them in a partner or groups or something like that i could control that so in my session after we've warmed them up and we've done all the stuff get them prepped get them ready to go I instantly get them into a reactive situation because I wanna know who they are today. Like, what do they bring? Are they are they high nervous system today? Or are they a little flat? Are they re- able to react really quick? Or are they just kind of sluggish on me? And that tells me what I should do next, okay? So I have this template, but it's really fluid. It changes based on what my team or my individuals are giving me. So I take this reactive tier system and let's say I had you, Matt, and I might literally stand in front of you, maybe, you know, 10 big steps, and I might take a ball, a tennis ball or so, and I might drop it and say, Matt, you got to come out of a parallel stance and you got to catch it before the second bounce. Just a quick reactive drill. And I want to see how you accelerate. And you're telling me by how you take off, how do you like to use your arms in, in early starting speed, And then an early acceleration speed and how you drive. So I get a really good look at you. And then I might say, okay, Matt, now I'm going to give you a, that would be a tier one. A tier one, you know exactly where you're going because the ball's in front of you. You just don't know when, because not until I drop it. Okay, so that's easy. I can get you warmed up with a tier one. Then I'll go a tier two. So I might take two tennis balls now and I'll have them like this and I might, throw either one. You don't know which one. You don't know which way. So you can't predetermine how you're going to accelerate out because you don't know. You don't know which way you're going to go. And I can throw it a little bit behind you. So now you have to open your hips. I could throw it a little bit behind me. Now you accelerate off at an angle. So that's telling me how you negotiate either foot to accelerate in that direction. If you're kind of sluggish coming out of that and not really, I might know, I, I, Matt needs a little more strength work. Needs a little bit more strength because it doesn't accelerate well. If you have a hard time closing the speed, I might think you need a little more elastic energy because your feet get stuck in the ground each step. So we might go to a little more elastic. Then my last part is, and this is what a session really looks like because actually I did it this morning with my basketball kids kind of like this. A little bit different drills, but same concept. Is then what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce your ability to change the direction. Because those first two, you you just accelerate it. You didn't know where on the level two, other tier two, and the tier one you knew, but you still didn't know when. But now what I'm going to do? Let's use the tennis balls again. I might say, throw my right one. You go get it, and then instantly after you get, I'm throwing my left one somewhere else. So now I'm getting change of direction, and your starting to predict and perceive how much acceleration you need to get to the next one and what angle you have to take really important skills for athletes to be put to be put through all the time because they have to understand force application angles how to get in and out of a cut to be able to go cut off something else so that's kind of what it looks like. And then Matt will throw in our strength training and I do different types of jump training and stuff like that. And then if it's required during that time of the year, I'll do conditioning. If not, it's really, I like to treat it like a puzzle. And I have the athlete involved with me, a lot of, lot of summary feedback. I might say, hey, Matt, how did you feel on that? What did that feel like to you? And if you answer to me, I don't know, I didn't feel that good. And I say, yeah, I didn't think it was that good. We're on the same page. But if you said, oh, that was awesome. I felt really good. And I said, nah, I didn't think you did it right. Now we got some work to do, right? So I like summary feedback with my training that I just showed you. That's kind of how I outline it. It's
0: very open-ended based on what the athletes are showing me. And how, how would you then go about adjusting that? Let's say, for example, that both you and the athlete agree, you know what, that wasn't the best one. Can you take us through how you might uh, like identify that and then adjust the next drill?
1: Yep. Yep. So oftentimes I film things, whether I set up the camera where they can be seen or I have a partner doing it real quick, or if I'm not involved in the drill, I'll film it myself so we can break it down like that. And then we literally backtrack because I try to stay as whole as possible and I go to parts when I know going to a part of that skill will help expedite the learning process. So I I don't go to it too often. Sometimes I make the athlete earn their learning of the skill. I, I make it ugly sometimes, and I make them just feel, as long as they're going in the right direction. But let's say you were struggling with this, or my athlete was struggling and they were having a hard time, and maybe the issue was initial arm action. They were really not using a proper arm action to help early stage acceleration. We'll break that down. We'll literally say 30 seconds is all I need, Show me this. We're going to go through a couple quick arm actions. I talk about pinky to back shoulder. That's an acceleration cue we give. And we'll work on that for 30 seconds. Bam. We go right back to the drill. Does it look better? If it does, good. We're going on. If it doesn't, we'll go right back, do it again. So it's literally kind of like fixing it on the fly. See if it works. See if that fix helped at all. And if not, We'll go back, we'll try it again, and we'll try another strategy. And I have no ego in this at all. I've said to athletes, what do you think we need to do? Like, what would help you? And sometimes they'll say, you know, I just feel like my, like my feet are in the wrong position or my shoulders are really tight. I'm like, okay, let's go, let's go foam roll or do some mobility really quick, and that helps them out. So I think it's got to be this kind of relationship that helps it. And that's, that's kind of what my sessions look like.
0: Absolutely excellent. I I think that's uh, that's really interesting stuff and really nice to see how you then go through all those uh, different tiers and how you can adjust it. Um, Where can people find some more information about you and, and what you're up to?
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, if they go to leetaf.com, that's kind of where everything is housed. They can find out. And I'm pretty active on social media. I like to share, you know, ideas and tips and quick, quick videos. So if they go to at Taft, pretty much can find me anywhere on any
0: of the socials. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. And I appreciate being able to share that. Oh, absolutely excellent. So, Lee, massive thanks for Simon Effort today. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you, Matt. You're the best. Thank you, buddy. Cheers. And that's it once again, a massive thanks to Lee for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I'm going to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get your hands on some great sports science information, all you have to do is hit the link in the show notes and you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free in just a few seconds' time what's more every time you complete one of the courses you'll get a certificate of completion which will prove your ongoing education and of course if you have enjoyed today's podcast it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach a colleague an athlete or a friend that means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content and that's it once again a massive thanks from me and massive matt solomon of science for science and i'll speak to you next week